You're listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. I'm your host, Shannon. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I also happen to have a love for tarot. Each episode, I invite you to reflect with me as I work to demystify the tarot and the human experience, all while exploring tarot's connection to mental and emotional health. While this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is not meant to take the place of psychotherapy. So grab your cards and join me as I work to create a pathway to better understand ourselves and those around us. Today, I get to sit down with Mimi Serbasova. She's a certified financial education instructor and a shame-free money mentor. Combining her training in education and creative problem solving, Mimi offers one-on-one mentoring classes and workshops to support financial scaredy cats on their journey up the money mountain. In July of 2020, Mimi became completely debt-free, paying off over $20,000 of debt while working part-time at a small nonprofit. She's passionate about helping people organize their financial lives to be in alignment with what they value most and experience more joy on a daily basis. On top of all of that, she's totally into tarot. Hey, Mimi. Hey, Shannon. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I one, I love your energy and your presence. You, you're so cool. And oh, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. And you talk about something that I have always grown up with having a really complicated relationship with. So it's really exciting to meet folks who are talking about money and finances in a way that I feel like disarms the topic, if that makes sense. Um, (laughs) I I try not to be, you know, scary, but you know, I also, I was a kindergarten teacher for like a nanosecond. So that helps. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like your, your energy and the way that you approach this topic is just really comforting. And I want to say fun, but I think it's because you and your energy are fun. So you just naturally (laughs) make it fun. Thank Um, you. But I'm curious. So tell us a little bit about what exactly you do with money and then also the role tarot plays in all of that. Yeah, sure. So I am a certified financial education instructor, which is basically just a long, fancy term for someone who teaches about money, right? So my job is kind of interesting in that my whole purpose and my my reason for being is to help people understand this thing that touches every aspect of our lives, but no one really gets a formal education on, right? So I work one-on-one with clients and then I also teach classes and do workshops um, all around looking at our relationship with money and how we can make that relationship better and healthier. Because I think so many of us have an adversarial relationship with, again, this thing that touches every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And it's so much more taboo than other topics that, you know, are the taboo topics of society. Money is just something that people don't feel comfortable talking about. And I really feel like my job is to be sort of like a Sherpa, helping guiding you along the money mountain and and pointing out, here's the potholes, here are the, you know, here's the easy route, here's the harder route. And just being able to equip you with the right things and figure out where you are and where you want to go next. 
Yeah. I mean, even just you, just then the way you describe it is like, oh, okay, this is manageable, but I love how you're talking about too. This is this, you know, money is this entity that I feel like is both kind of like the bane of our existence, but also the thing that we need in order to exist. (laughs) And so because of that, the relationship patterns that we develop with money can be probably like, well, I know for me, like convoluted and messy and you have to kind of untangle them and, you know, use the word well-being. It really does impact the way we exist in the world and exist within Absolutely. our relationships. So I'm excited to have you here try and try and unwrap that. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, how are we, or how do you see tarot playing a role in all of this? Because I know that you use tarot and I you do. folks can't see, but you have tarot earrings on right now. I are- do. I have um, my moon card earrings because I love the moon card and it was like my card of the year for I think it was 2018 um and I saw them at a a craft fair and I was like I have to have these in my life (laughs) but I I love tarot for so many reasons because I you know it helped me tremendously for gosh I've been using tarot personally Mm -hmm. for probably about a decade and it really helped me to reflect on my own thoughts and patterns of behavior and in working with clients if that's something that they're also interested in I use tarot as a way to journal and to get more introspection about again their relationship with um, money but also with their values their mindset asking new questions or better questions about their financial lives. So tarot is something that's really helpful, not just for me personally, but for me professionally. I can really see how, especially in your financial world, tarot could be beneficial because I know from a therapeutic perspective, using the cards to create a narrative or define your current narrative is so helpful because we can get so caught in our own heads of like, well, this is what I think is happening, or I only have access to like, you know, a small amount of information. But then when we pull the cards, it's like, oh, now I have access to a bunch more information. And then I have this tangible thing that I can go through and have all these archetypes are there that have all these meanings. And I can formulate maybe a new narrative or a new story that might work better for me or use the cards to help, like you said, reflect on, well, if I take this route, especially like when it comes to money and finances, how is that going to change? things and you know how will that make me feel and I feel like it creates this space for us to explore things in this kind of comforting container that maybe we otherwise wouldn't have had access to so it really just shows how versatile the cards can be because here you are talking about money and finance and it's like yeah we can bring the cards into that and find a way for them to be helpful absolutely there and and I think it's using whatever tools are available to you um, because really that's what we want to do with our finances, right? Is we want to be able to use all the tools that are available to us and find the right tools to match what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, you know, and we're really getting into it. And I do want to pull a card with you in a minute, but even <laughs> you just saying that makes me think of how, you know, a few minutes ago you were saying, you know, we don't have any or we don't get really any formal education in money or finances unless that's something you go to college for or you take right. classes for post high school education because we're not exposed to anything except for what we see growing up. And that's really getting into the episode, but we're going to explore all that kind of what (laughs) sort of stories we create or that we've been told to create with money. But I would love to pull a card with you too. Yeah, I would love that. Perfect. All right. What deck are you using? So this is the Everyday Witch Tarot deck. It's one of my favorites. I didn't 
think I would love it as much as I love it, but it's kind of like that friend that's a good listener and says very gently what you need. <laughs> so I, I just love it. That's how I feel about Tarot Vintage, which is what I'm using. It's yeah, it just feels like that kind of comforting, but you know, also give you the truth that you need. So, all right. I had a card jump out. So I'm going to go with that one. And it is the Knight of Cups, which is interesting. Oh, so, curious interesting. what you end up pulling. I I got two of cups. Cups? Yeah. Really? Okay. Uh, I think it's fantastic because <laughs> we're talking about emotions. True, and yes. And, you know, the two is such a, like, finding the mm. right fit and kind of finding the right partnership and, and it being mm. equal, an equal partnership. I you know, Yeah. And the way you're talking about two of cups is also, yeah, the relationship that we have with money, that the other person in the two of cups doesn't have to be another person. It could also be what is our relationship like with money and finances or yeah. the people in our life that are tied to our finances or that we're tied to their finances. I love that two cups came up because the knight of cups for me is kind of dramatic and again, <laughs> does speak to <laughs> the the emotional part of money. But because he's a knight, I'm thinking about more of the like charming and alluring qualities. Like, mm. ooh, what sort of kind of, what kind of charm does money have over us or even what type of how are we disenchanted by it in addition to being charmed sure. by it, right? That would be more of the shadow. Yeah, component. or even in that conversation about manifesting, because so many of us want to manifest more money. <sighs> yes. <right>? Ooh, <laughs> that's a great way to think about the Knight of Cups. If I just sit here on my horse and hold my cup out and say, I want all of this money or I need all this money and just speak it into existence, it'll happen. It's so much more than that. It takes right. a lot of work. And yeah, yeah. I think that could apply to being disenchanted with it too, because you think that, you know, oh, if I sit here and hold out my cup, it will come. Mm, no. And then you're right. disappointed. And then maybe you give up because nothing happened. And that's sure. where the two of cups comes in because now we have to evaluate why are we having this type of relationship with our thoughts and our money? Yeah. Or, and even looking at, are you making space for it? Right. Mm -hmm. Are you making space for more money in your life? Or are you looking, you know, does your behavior more so reflect like, get it away from me. I don't, you know, I'm going to spend my money the moment that I get it. Cause it's not safe. It doesn't feel, you know, like I can hold on to it. Are you making sure that when money comes into your life, you're treating it like a partner that you want to have? That's a beautiful way to one, I feel like talk about the two of cups and the knight of cups combined, because I feel like I was just talking about the knight of cups from more of a shadow perspective, but sitting on your horse and holding out your cup could say, Hey, I'm making space for mm -hmm. money. So I love the way you describe that. And it, I feel like that segues nicely into one of the things we wanted to talk about today, uh, which, you know, Luna and I had talked about on the podcast, I mean, forever ago, probably when we very first started the podcast, so it was like two years ago at this point. And it's this idea of money scripts and mm -hmm. money scripts was, uh, it was actually created by a psychologist, which I think is cool. Dr. Bradley Clots. Yeah. Yes. Which is a fun name. Like right? it kind of like a toy manufacturer. Clots. Yes. That's a great name. And he has a, a really cool, just really cool information and, and lots of research that he does. So yeah, I I definitely appreciate the the work that Dr. Klontz provides to the to this space. 
Yeah. Cause I feel like, and, and oh my God, so cool. Again, I'm going back to the cups that we pull because I feel like what he does with the money scripts really lends itself to the emotional aspect of our relationship with money and finances, because he is the, well, the, I think there's four or is there yeah. four or five? So he there's talks four. about money four status. categories. Okay. Money status, yes. money vigilance, money worship, and money avoidance. And I feel like all of those can be tied up to our emotions. Sure. So, it it yeah. is all tied to our emotions. And the interesting thing, you know, like you said, there are the four money scripts. And, and it's important to keep in mind that we all have hundreds of money beliefs. Like our, the things that we believe about money, it, it's just, it goes on and on and on. Even those of us who are very good at managing money have a ton of money scripts and money beliefs. But Dr. Klontz really talks about these four categories of avoidance and focus, sometimes called worship, status, and then vigilance. And I think it's really interesting because when you start to explore these, you start to see the pattern really is from the you know negative side of the energy source, right? It's really about believing that money isn't safe. Mm. And that money isn't something that you can feel comfortable with, right? So like in the case of a money avoidance, that's when we really have, I I call it like my financial scaredy cats. (laughs) Those are my folks who are afraid to open their um, credit card statements that come in. They're afraid to look at their bank accounts unless it's, you know, payday and I got paid or, oh my gosh, I think I'm almost out of money. Let me just check and make sure I've got enough to buy lunch today, right? I experienced a lot of money avoidance scripts um, in my 20s. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's really about kind of feeling undeserving or guilty about money, like money is bad, money is evil. If you grew up with um, a lot of cultural indoctrination or cultural upbringing that said, you know, that money is bad, money is evil, you can have a lot of those money, money scripts about money avoidance. And then on this other side, you have this money worship where money is, um, or money focus, where it's money is about freedom and happiness. Money, you know, there's never enough money, but you're always trying to chase more of it, right? That money would, if I could just get more, it would solve all my problems. But that becomes a moving target, right? So we have- 100%. Right. Like, oh, I'll, I'll feel better when, you know, I'm making X number of dollars that time comes and it's still not enough. Right. right? Now I need more. Now I need more with money status. That's really where you see folks who relate their self-worth or or, um, feelings about who they are with their net worth or how much they have. And it doesn't always have to be how much they actually have, but how much they think others perceive that they have. So if you look like you've got a lot of money, you're doing good. You're, you're worthy, right? Those folks do tend to have, they're more prone to gambling Mm -hmm. um, in excess. Those folks are also more prone to overspending. A lot of these are, but, you know, really kind of hiding money is especially from partners or spouses. This is something we see a lot with folks who have a lot of money status scripts. And then the one that the kind of last one is that money vigilance, where we're looking at that idea of like hoarding and tightness and and needing to make sure that you save, 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 save. I see this a lot with folks who are really good savers, but they don't have any purpose or reason why they're saving. They just know that they're supposed to, but there's no 
there's no reason why behind it. Um, they also tend to have a belief that handouts are bad or assistance is bad. Asking others for, you know, if they're going through a hard time, mm-hmm. asking others for money are is a bad thing and feeling a lot of anxiety. These are, folks are also really tend to avoid loans or credit cards, sometimes to their detriment. So yeah. again, all of these scripts, it's not that the scripts themselves are bad. It's the behavior that's linked to them and our level of awareness of these scripts. That's what makes the difference. The fact that you just said it's not the scripts themselves that are are bad. It's Mm -hmm. the behavior that's attached to them, I think, is really profound and something worth sitting with because I think yeah. if folks can go take this quiz, by the way, I'll link it in the show notes. It's it's really interesting when you do. And I think it's important to take it over time because when I took this a couple of years ago, my results were very different than what they were when I retook them today before we recorded this. And, you know, I, then I was reflecting, well, why is it different? And you're right. It was, it's my behavior that also changed. And of course, some things in my life that, that changed too. But you, um, you were talking about, I want to talk about all, all of these scripts, <laughs> but you know, money avoidance is interesting. And I always link like the two of swords to this because it makes sense. The person's blindfolded, arms are crossed and they could go one way or another. But something that I found really interesting about money avoidance, because like you said, you used to be a money avoider. I was too. And I didn't realize I was doing this until I even learned about what money scripts were, but there's an aspect of self-sabotage that's linked to money avoidance. And (laughs) beyond just avoidance itself, because we could say, well, avoiding, you know, money or bills or even thinking about it as self-sabotage, it certainly could be. But we, those of us who are money avoiders, and I'm less now, which is good, but they also tend to, I think, have behaviors that give money away or spend money or feel like they're not deserving of it. So it sabotages any sort of ability to save or have a healthy relationship because it's like, well, I need to avoid this. I don't like money. It scares me. So I'm just going to like make sure it's not really a part of my life. I'll make sure maybe my bills are paid. But other than that, I don't really want anything to do with it. Like wipe my hands clean type of thing. And I'm curious if that shows up for you when you're working with folks. Sure. I mean, and I see self-sabotaging behaviors in all four of these categories, right? We see these self-sabotaging behaviors where it's like, you know, you have folks who are chronic overspenders where Mm -hmm. they're, you know, when they get paid, the money is in their hand and it's out the door. You know, they get their bills paid, but, you know, the moment that they're not saving, they're not investing seriously. I see a lot of times folks who, you know, again, like with money status where it's like, if I... If I buy my, you know, nieces and nephews or my, you know, sons or daughters or children or whomever, you know, buy them things and, you know, then suddenly they're dealing with just stuff everywhere or, you know, there's all these different self-sabotaging behaviors that can happen because of different money scripts. I think ultimately self-sabotage, at least from the perspective as a financial educator, I think self-sabotage is really about trying to feel safe without understanding what makes you feel secure and safe. The mic drop. (laughs) Uh, So brilliant. Absolutely. Because I think that's the underlying issue with all of this is safety. You know, it goes back to earlier how I was like, well, okay, money is both the bane of our existence and this thing that we need in order to exist. And here we are trying to repair our relationship with money or rewrite our narratives about money 
And at the same time that we're trying to do that, we all probably still feel really unsafe. And so when we're trying to reevaluate or repair a relationship while we're not necessarily feeling safe at the same time can be so difficult. And I think that's why a lot of people, at least as a therapist, I see this. I'm sure you see this even more because this is what you do. When folks come in and if money is being talked about, they might be working on their relationship with money, either, you know, not being a money avoider or trying to reduce their their script as a, you know, the money status role. And they work on it for like, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks and then they stop because either something yeah. happened or it feels so scary stepping out of what they've known for so long and into a new role that they would rather just revert back to what they know because they can predict what's going to happen when they're a money avoider or when they are a money worshiper or when mm-hmm. they're money vigilant. But then they're just perpetuating the self-sabotage stuff that keeps coming up. Right. And I want to just point out the fact that feeling secure with money doesn't come from money. Mm. When we are, there's a really good proverb that, you know, stress is who you think you should be. Relaxation is who you are. And I think, you know, even in line with that, that proverb and that quote, you know, I think there's the idea is that we, you know, if we have more money, we'll suddenly feel better. Or if the, you know, these things line up, we're going to feel better. But really it's about looking to feel secure and feel safe. And, and then, how does money align with that vision? And that's why when I talk about the money mountain specifically, which is really my own framework for how I work with my clients, you know, once we get past those basic needs, right? The, do you have a safe place to sleep? Do you have enough food to eat? Are you able to maintain proper hygiene? Once we get past those things, the next level above that is really about your mindset and your values. Money is just really the way that we interact with money is really an outcome of what we believe and what we value. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we look at our ourselves and say, okay, I have to live in a capitalistic society where to meet my needs, I have to pay for those needs, right? How might I do that in a way that serves my greatest good. And if we're doing a lot of self-sabotaging behavior, who ultimately benefits from that? Mm -hmm. If we're doing a lot of things where we're avoiding looking at our finances, we're not taking the time to learn about money, despite the fact that there's so much great information out there that is reliable, that is um, helpful. When we're not learning about money, who ultimately profits off of that? You know, the people who profit are, you know, your credit card company who's getting your interest payments, your mortgage lender who is, you know, seeing those late fees come in, right? Like when we look at those things, and again, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the fact that we have very, very broken systems. We have broken systems and how can we best serve our greatest good as individuals within that broken system? That's really what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, I think even the way you just described who benefits can be incredibly empowering for folks to hear because I think even just taking a minute to reflect on, yeah, who does benefit from my unhealthy behaviors or my ineffective relationship with money? And then when you see, oh, it's actually the society, the capitalistic society that I'm really frustrated with. Okay, so... 
I already feel a lack of control because I can't change the fact that it, the fact that capitalism exists, but I can change my relationship and my behavior around money, which I think is just like really important to be able to say, well, now I want this script and this narrative that I've written to benefit me, not all these other people who are kind of perpetuating my behavior or my relationship with money that is harmful to me. So even just that question, who does this benefit can be really profound for folks to just sit and reflect, oh yeah, who does this benefit? Okay, well now how can I make this benefit me? I think that's probably where a lot of the good work starts when you're working with your clients. It does. And I think, you know, when we're talking about mindset specifically, we're not looking to create these we're not looking to create these toxic, positive, you know, right. mantras and all the, and, and, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I certainly have affirmations. I think, you know, things yeah. that I have to remind myself, but looking at it from a point of, of gentleness, you know, a great example of this is I was finding in my work with clients that we were talking about moving out of scarcity mindset. And so many times we would talk about, well, what does abundance look like for you? And I realized very quickly that for clients that grew up in scarcity, whether that is true scarcity or perceived scarcity, Mm -hmm. abundance was either completely inconceivable to them or it felt really scary. Yeah. Right? Because it's always that waiting for that other shoe to drop. So rather than focusing on abundance... What I try to focus on with my clients is enoughness. What does enough look like for you? And I think Vicki Robin in her book, Your Money or Your Life, really encapsulates that well. She says, basically, money is not really the thing that you're after. Because after all, would you lock yourself in a dark, silent box forever in exchange for becoming a billionaire? We're not the money is not really the end all be all. It's how money can make us feel through what it can provide. So we have to understand what feels like security to us to make sure our money aligns with that. So I love everything you're saying. And I don't know if you saw, but I quickly like just cut the deck. Um, and I, I pulled another cup. I pulled King of Cups. Well, I don't know. This Ooh. is wild, but I feel like I was looking at the card while you were just talking and I was like, oh, this actually really fits in with what you were saying because here he is kind of sitting on his throne in the middle of this uh, rough waters, but he looks calm. And I think that speaks so beautifully to what you were just saying. What is enoughness? What can I be sitting on that I can sit in the, the roughness of the water around me and still be like, I have what I need. I have a fancy cup. I don't have a huge yeah. raft. The raft is enough right. to fit me on and I can stay here without tipping over, but I have a fancy cup and I have clothes and, you know, I've got a beautiful view. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the ocean. And your, your enough point, the thing that feels like enough for you can change. Yeah. I mean, what is enough for me right now in this season of my life is very different than what it looked like even two or three years ago. I have been able to say, you know, in exchange for being able to have more time freedom, have more um, autonomy by being an entrepreneur, I am willing to let go of these other things um, that felt like security in that past season of life. And in this season of life, again, being able to look at my life and what is most meaningful to me, my enough point just looks different and that's okay. And it will look different again, you know, at some point in the future. But I think it was funny while you were saying all that, I pulled the nine of pentacles, which I think is all about kind of basking in that, that 
I have done enough. I have what I need and I don't need more because mm-hmm. more, and again, I get, I think that's where a lot of folks with that abundance mindset, and I'm not bashing abundance right. mindset, but I think abundance mindset can feel like excess or waste. And when we're living on a planet where there's limited resources, I mean, we've already passed. I think the earth overshoot day has already come and gone, right? When we're living on a planet with limited resources, thinking about having so much that it's too much can feel really unmanageable. So I think, you know, it's really about seeing what do I need and how do I maintain that space? Yeah, you're... Your use of the word maintain is really important. And I love that you pulled nine of pentacles. That's one of my favorite reflective cards because Mm -hmm. I'm always telling folks and even trying to remind myself, like, let's sit back and look at what you've already done, what you've already accomplished, what you already have. What are you, what have you planted? What do you want to plant? But like, let's just sit and be grateful for a second for like, what is here? So that's one way to look at, look at it. And I feel like another component here is, and I feel like we've kind of like been alluding to this in our conversations so far is that a lot of the relationships and our narratives that we've created about money really stem from our childhood. And I think it can be overwhelming to sit here and maybe even be listening to us and thinking like, okay, I have all these money scripts or narratives or stories or ways of relating to money, but where do Mm -hmm. they come from? Or I've been doing it for so long. I don't understand why I am the way I am. And I think a lot of people forget that when we're kids, we are just like little sponges. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we're seeing so much of how our parents or caregivers or the people around us were relating to money, using money, not using money that are really imprinted on on our brains and the way that we experience money. And I feel like the nine of pentacles kind of speaks to that too, because we can almost say, well, it's almost like maybe even looking back, like here's my history, right? This, This plant with all these beautiful pentacles on it. Like, let me see, what are all the stories that I learned growing up? Let me take a step back and look and see, what did I learn about money? Who taught that to me? What parts of of this narrative do I keep with me? What parts of this narrative do have I thrown away or that I want to get rid of? And I think that's a big part of what you work on with your clients too. I do. And I I hear folks say, you know, I, I hear these themes and it's funny. Yeah. I, I'm sure as a therapist, you experience this too, where you're like, you start to hear these patterns and yeah. that, you know, and I think for, for the work that I do, especially with my one-on-one clients, you know, this idea that we learn things in childhood. Yes, we absolutely learn things. And it's not just the things that our parents say to us. It's the things that also go unsaid, right? Yes. I knew growing up that there were times I just didn't, I just didn't ask. Yeah. I just didn't ask because I knew the answer would be no, not because they didn't want to be able to afford something for me, but I knew that they couldn't. Right. And so I just didn't ask. And there, I see that now having that level of awareness, it shows me that I have a hard time using my voice and asking for things. And so I have to work on that and practice that. And so part of doing this analysis and learning where things come from is understanding, okay, now that I have this information, now that I understand, what am I going to do with it? right? And you can choose, you have that power to choose. Am I going to continue this narrative that, you know, my great grandmother, you know, taught my grandmother who taught my mom, you know, and then taught to me, am I going to continue that pattern? And one of my favorite questions to ask when I hear this come up is, 
in what time, in, in what times in your life has that statement been untrue, right? So maybe in your life, you know, no one invested, no one put money away for retirement. And maybe that was, you know, that's the reality. And what you were taught was that money is gambling or, you know, investing is gambling. In what way is that not true? Have you seen other people who have been able to use investments to create a comfortable nest egg for themselves? And just kind of starting to have that awareness. Oh, yeah, I know my my neighbor, they retired and, and they are living pretty comfortably and they don't have to just live off Social Security. Okay, so now that we know that there's a possibility of it no longer being true for us, what new narrative do we want to write? Maybe it's, I don't know very much about investing, but I'm willing to learn. Yeah, but I'm willing to learn. I think that's the that's one of the biggest, I think, components here because what we've learned growing up, a lot of times we take with us to mean like that is that's it. What we learned, <laughs> what we saw, like there's no editing that takes place. And I think that's right. one of the biggest misconceptions that a lot of us face, not even just with money, but all aspects of our life, that once we've learned something or once we've established a way of being with something that we can't edit it, that we can't change it. And that's just Mm -hmm. not true. And actually, so one of the cards I pulled to guide the episode was the Queen of Pentacles. But now I'm, I had one way of thinking about her and I'm thinking about her slightly differently now that, you know, we're talking about this particular component and that's finding or seeking out people who can help you edit your relationship or your narrative with money. And I feel like the queen of pentacles is a really beautiful representation of that. Like who, because you were just saying, where has this not been true? And you gave examples like, oh, my neighbor or this person, it's okay to go talk to those people. Yes. As long as like they want to talk back, because again, a taboo associated with money is that We're not allowed to talk about it. We're not allowed to talk about how much we make, how we're investing, how we're saving, you know, whatever. So finding someone maybe like the Queen of Pentacles, because, you know, I love her. She's sitting on this throne and she's looking down. She's holding this pentacle. She looks open, like she's ready to share. And I always picture someone coming and just, I don't know, like falling into her lap at her feet and saying, I need help. And her just being so willing to offer kind of that energy and protectiveness and knowledge and so I think it is important to seek people out like like you, who has information, who has knowledge that's different than mine, who can help me repair or change or edit or just view this thing that's difficult for me in a new way so that it doesn't feel so scary anymore. Yeah. And I think it's really about looking at reputable sources, folks who have walked the journey that you are trying to walk. And I think there's a certain level of understanding what their um, what their motivation is. Why do they want to share that information? Is it to, you know, to really benefit you or is there, you know, another agenda there? But also being able to recognize that there, you know, there are efforts. There are genuine efforts to help folks learn how to not just survive this capitalistic system that we live in, but also thrive in it. And I don't mean thrive as in again being, you know, becoming a billionaire. Yeah. But you have thrive a as in, yeah. Thrive as in, you know, I can I can walk through my door, look at my mail, open up all of my mail and not freak out and panic and have my heart race every single time I see a statement from my bank, right? That's really what we're trying to get to is feeling that, that sense of, I have a plan. I have a 
baseline understanding of the foundational pieces that it takes. And then I also have enough confidence to know that if things change, I can pivot. Yeah. Right. Not, re, you know, change the whole plans, but I can pivot and make some, some new adjustments. To me, it's kind of like rerouting on your GPS, yeah. right? Instead of, you know, saying, well, I'm no longer going to the store, you know, just because there's construction in the way you can say, nope, I'm going to just take this back route and it's going to be okay. Right. right. And it might take 10 minutes more to get to the store, but I'm going to get there. Yeah. I mean, that's so important. The detour. Right. And I think, and it's, it's funny because I feel like I have a lot of folks in my life who are so great with money now. Like I have you and my accountant who's like a friend and I did an episode with him recently. And it's so interesting hearing the way that the two of you specifically talk about money because I grew up fearing it. And it was Mm -hmm. constantly this thing that if we had it, we had to hold on to it really tight or we, you know, it was gone or we had it and then it was gone. So it was this thing that, oh my God, it's never truly there. And if it is there, it'll be gone within a minute. So, right. but I, I love the way just the two of you come at this specifically with, without the intenseness and, and not even just like my family growing up, but I feel like we experience this a lot on social media. There are yeah. a lot of people and not even just social media, but like just anywhere, you know, that money is being spoken about, it can come across as very alarming and very tense. And I have to do this thing right now, or the world's going to end, or I'm never going to have any money, or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just screwed and there's no coming out because, you know, I can't do this thing that this one person that I saw on TikTok said that I should do. And, you know, making sure that you have people around you and you're consuming content and media that is compassionate, which I feel like that's something you really offers this level of compassion and empathy and flexibility. Because I feel like a lot of us, even in all the money scripts, there's such rigidity, no matter what script you exist in, they're all very rigid. And so you talking about, hey, if something doesn't go the way you intended, that's all right. That just means you have to go left instead of going right. And it's going to take you a little bit longer, but that doesn't mean it's a failure. And I think, no. I think that's like, I, you know, important to remember. I think there, it's so interesting. And I think this is a good opportunity to bring up, you know, something I know we have talked about previously, but the, the way that we interact with money, right? So when we approach money, we can have, these, I, I see it oftentimes these, these poles, right? These mm-hmm. two ends of the spectrum. You have folks who are kind of collapsing with yeah. money. There's never enough money. Money's bad or I'm bad if I have it or yes. money is scary. I want to run away for it. And it's just, we kind of fold in on ourselves and, and we, you know, it's that, you know, I lose you win mentality when it comes to that really, you know, going back to that two of cups, right? Yeah. That relationship that we have with money. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we have this, you know, posturing like, well, I have to grind and I have to hustle. And, you know, and I think we see that a lot on social media of like that hustle culture and the, you know, the only way to make money is you got to just go for it and push, 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 push yourself till the point of true, you know, burnout, right? Um, or we see folks who, you know, go to such extreme lengths to, you know, pay off debt as fast as possible to, you know, get to these finish. And I'm like, what is the journey then? What's the point of the journey? And I really want to offer kind of that 
a, a third alternative, right? And just complete, let's disengage from this binary of collapsing or posturing and instead look at composure. And to me, composure is that saying of there is no fight to fight. We can look at our pathway forward and decide at each moment, what is the right next best step for us, right? So maybe you wake up one day and you say, you know what, the best next step for me is I'm just going to open the high yield savings account so that I can start an emergency fund. The next best step for me this morning is I'm going to, you know, just send an email to my HR director and say, how, what do I do to log into my 401k so I can look at it? Right. Mm. It's not about trying to get to this finish line. Cause I guess for me, I'm like, the finish line is death. I'm yes. like, why am I racing to get yes. to that? <laughs> you know, I, I would rather look at it and say, when I look at where I am now and the actual finish line of death, and I'm no longer on this planet, what do I want that journey to look like? What are the things that are important to me? How can I take care of myself when I'm when I'm at the age I am now and when I'm at my most vulnerable, right? And my most vulnerable could be in the next 10 years. It could be, you know, 50 years from now. I just don't know. So I will really want to make sure that we look at money as this tool for creating the life that means something to us because we only get this one life. And I I think money is just one of the many resources that we have available to us. Um, But it's one that so many of us just kind of look at and go, oh, really? I have to, can you imagine like if we looked at a toolbox full of tools and we said, oh God, I have to use a wrench today. (laughs) Like really? Why can't we look at, you know, why can't we look at money as just another resource that we have available? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's so important to reframe our narrative the way that you are so beautifully reframing it for us. Because I think a lot of what we're exposed to is very much what you were saying a minute ago about, okay, how do we get to this end goal? You have to save so that you can retire. You have to save so what everyone is saying, but not saying is you have to save, you have to save so you can die. And (laughs) so many of us already have a fear of death and like, don't really want to think of death. So tying that into money is really just making everything a lot worse than it needs to be. (laughs) So you talking about, well, no, how can we use this as a tool to help us live as we are now. And sure, like saving is important and investing can be really helpful, but how can we, yeah, how can we be present and just live our life based on what we have now? And you have some really beautiful insight into ways that, again, you can keep kind of reframing your relationship with money and even stepping out of it just being about money. So I would love to Mm -hmm. hear some of kind of what you use personally or even with your clients when it comes to kind of, I think you call it like resource leveraging, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. I like, so I like to look at, um, when I came, I come from a nonprofit background. So most of my adult uh, career has been in nonprofit work. And we always talk about in fundraising, time, talent, treasure. So a resource that I really value and that is super important to me is my time. Time is something that I think is highly precious. And so I use my time very thoughtfully and I look at other things that I can do. So I have skill sets. I have um, relationships. I have 
knowledge and understanding. And these are all things that I can use to my advantage. So, you know, what a great example is I have um, a lot of training in creative problem solving and specifically the Parnes Osborne model of creative problem solving. And I use that, that knowledge all the time to reframe and rework questions so that I can understand the the problems better. So um, there's a great quote by Charles Kettering that says, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. Mm -hmm. And I use that quite frequently with my clients to say, let's make sure we really understand the problem here before we try to solve it. Before we try to jump into, oh, I got to just pay off my debt. I got to do this. I got to do... Let's really understand what the problem is. Let's understand the situation. What is the landscape that we're facing so that you can pack appropriately, right? So that you can make a plan appropriately. And I think when we look at resources, again, beyond money, we can start to ask better questions about how we can leverage those resources to meet that vision. So I grew up all my life going with my parents to the polls to go vote. And I thought when I retire, I'm going to go and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go help people to vote. Right. And the moment that I became an entrepreneur, I went, Oh my gosh, I have the time now I can go become a poll worker. I can go help people vote. Right. And I've been able to do that. So last year, I was my first year working and going to the elections and, and helping people and processing mail-in voting. And, mm. and it was so joyful for me. And it helped me to meet this vision that I have for my life, which is someone who is very civically involved and can do something that's meaningful for my community. And so it wasn't about money. It was about time and that resource being leveraged in a way that is meaningful. So I, I like to look at money is just one aspect of this greater picture of all the things that we have available to us. You, What you're speaking to, and this has actually been a theme throughout the episode today, is the importance of values. And I can't believe we have, mm-hmm. I don't know, if, I don't think we've actually used the word values, but that's really what's happening here. And it's it's so funny. So I just cut the deck again and you will not believe. And I'm t- I shuffled this deck. I swear <laughs> to you, I shuffled. I pulled Page of Cups. <laughs> Did you? Oh, hey. So I don't know what, what is happening with cups today. I never would have assumed that I would have pulled so many cups for <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> but it's so sweet because I feel like it really kind of sums up what we've talked about. And it's being curious, being mm-hmm. willing to experiment, being willing to mess up or go oh a different gosh. direction and yeah. having the ability to say like, what's happening right now? Because I mean, the page of cups, he's, there's, you know, he's in this environment where there's like a, you know, an ocean behind him or a body of water, but he's so focused on like what he's holding right now. And I think like that's energy that we really need when it comes to this is, and it's going to make our relationship and what we want to do with money moving forward so much easier if we just say, okay, well, what's happening right now? Because I think it can get so overwhelming when we're so end goal uh, oriented. Mm -hmm. And it goes along with what you've been saying is, well, when we just want to get from like the beginning of the alphabet to the end, we miss the process. And I feel like this page of cups really speaks to the process and being present and saying, you know, what do, what do we need right now from, you know, this, from an emotional perspective and just from a a mindful present perspective. I just think it's it's also wild that I pulled another cup. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. And and again, you know, when I think of like Ace of Cups is a great example, you know, this chalice of possibility. 
And that's, I think that's the biggest thing for me is if I can help folks to see possibility in their financial life and in their financial journey and just see that there's so much more potential than they're giving themselves credit Mm -hmm. for, that to me is a job well done. Like that to me is the A plus, you know, gold star moment (laughs) of, you know, I, if I've been able to make somebody go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I yeah, I could actually, you know, I could save up and it's not that hard if I really wanted to go, you know, travel across yeah. the United States and go get a tattoo from this artist that I've always wanted to get a tattoo mm-hmm. from, like I could do that. I just need to do execute this particular plan and Absolutely. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have to worry about doing that every single paycheck. I could automate that and set up some things so that I don't even have to think about it. It's just yeah. done. Absolutely. So I, I think that's really, you know, it's as much as the cups are, you know, about emotions and feelings and, and you know, so much of this is about emotions. And I think that's why so many of us get turned off yeah. talking about money is that we try to either detach the emotional side of it mm-hmm. or we can't get past the emotions to see through the tangible steps. And it's really learning how to hold both of those um, equally and understand both are important. So thank you so much for hanging out with me today and really taking time to unwrap this experience with money. And I I had no idea that it was going to really be the emotional landscape of money. You know, when we talked yeah. about doing this episode, we had ideas and you never know once you hop on and you really start talking. Wow. So this was this is really great. And I, you just have so much value to offer folks. So please share where people can find you, what you have going on, because you have some really cool stuff happening. I do. So I can be found everything about what I'm doing is um, on my website. So metasweetmoney.com. And it's, I also have a YouTube channel where I share all sorts of um, interesting things. I actually do a, a little segment here and there that is money and tarot and kind of looking at the tangible parts of finance um, with along with tarot cards. And I also have a podcast that um, I just launched this year. I'm really proud of it and I'm having so much fun with it. It's the Meadow Sweet Money podcast and you can find that anywhere that you listen. And I'm on Instagram um, mostly. I, I do have a TikTok, but I've been kind of quiet over there. So Instagram is the best way to reach out to me if you ever have a question or want to reach out. And of course, I do one-on-one mentoring if that's a service that you're looking for. But more classes, more things to come. And I've got lots of good, lots of goodies coming up this year and next year. Thank you so much for listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok under the handle at The Tarot Diagnosis and join us while we pull daily cards and explore tarot and mental health in between podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you have a topic or question that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can contact us directly on our website, www.thetarotdiagnosis.com.